Hey guys, how are we doing this week? It's Gerard with Hit the Apex Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Apologies again if you had caught my tweet last week saying that I couldn't record. Um, thank you for being patient. Um, if not, then basically what had happened, there were some technical difficulties in the form of my laptop CPU deciding to just quietly say yeah yeah I've had enough so (laughs) had to quickly scramble to back up all the files and you know get myself a new laptop and everything so it took the the weekend to set up and now finally we're pretty much almost there just iTunes is being a bit difficult seeing as I'm a bit old school and still rip my CDs over so about 150 gigs worth of um, music and my phone backup data and yes people probably listening saying oh why don't you use the cloud why don't you use the cloud I'm like you know I just haven't bothered seeing how the cloud works and everything yet so yeah no I've still just got all that to go but here we are recording from the new laptop for um this week it doesn't mean though i'm going to skip over the emilia romagna grand prix from a couple of weeks ago it feels like it was a long time ago now but <laughs> you know having to reread all the information and everything i was like oh okay so that's what happened in the race <clears throat> not that it wasn't a memorable race it was actually pretty memorable in different ways you know mercedes winning their seventh constructors championship although some people will probably see that as like you call that memorable but then you had you know some key moments Max Verstappen of course just Italy does not seem to be very kind to him in 2020 Uh, some mistakes there from Bottas as well Danny Rick ending up on the podium again second podium in three races who would have thought and Sergio Perez and Racing Point big question mark as to what happened there with their strategy trying to pitting Checo when he had track position for the podium and um, you know is there some kind of foul play or something going on behind the scenes also got confirmation of the provisional calendar for next year as well so I'll go over that in a little bit more depth later and then Turkish Grand Prix on this weekend so I'm glad I've got everything set up for uh, the race this weekend would have been difficult to miss a live blog purely because I don't have um, the technology available to me and as you guys know the keen listeners that I do travel everywhere um, with you know laptop and camera and everything because if there's going to be some racing on then I'm eager to catch it not that I use my camera to shoot um, F1 if I'm not at the track for example I mean I wouldn't do it off the TV but I make sure I'm there to be able to live blog a race if I can um, wherever I am like Broken Hill last year there you go that's you know any I don't know if anyone could say that they live blogged a race in Broken Hill um, for a Formula One Grand Prix that was Spa of course last year all right now I'm starting to waffle I think um because I haven't done this for a week, <laughs> just I wanted to just say whatever comes into my mind. It's it's been pretty interesting, of course. You know, a couple of weeks ago we opened up. Um, you know, things started opening up again here in Melbourne, and you know, it's just trying to find that new normal kind of thing where you know you still got to wear your masks, but you know we can start doing things like retail, of course, and going to the pub. But you know, I had my first pint, pint of Guinness at the at the pub last week, which felt so strange but there you go it's done I've got that off my back <clears throat> anyway let's go back to Emilia Romagna and um, it was a record-breaking weekend I guess just in general Mercedes wrapped up the seventh title not done before consecutively by any teams and you know the whole thing about um, 
or the comparison, I guess, between them and Ferrari in the early 2000s. You know, Mercedes have basically established their own record now, and now we're waiting for Lewis Hamilton to wrap up his seventh title as well. He's uh, taken another win, 93rd win of his career, so he's going to reach that 100. There's no doubt about that, um, whether it's well, it's not going to be this year, but next year. Question mark about, you know, some comments he made at the end of the last time's race about whether he'll be racing or not next year, but, you know, you'd think that for next year, surely it would be, especially if there's a chance for a 8th world title as well. So he won the race not from pole position, um, that was Valtteri Bottas on pole, but um, took the lead from Bottas after benefiting from a virtual safety car which was brought out by, <laughs> and you know it's funny when you know you read conspiracy theories and people actually come up with stuff like this that oh you know Esteban Ocon had a bit of a failure, you know and Esteban Ocon obviously being a Mercedes junior driver he um, had a car failure which brought out the virtual safety car and conveniently gave Lewis Hamilton the opportunity to pit when he needed to, to keep his lead over Bottas. So Bottas led the early phase of the race. This track was pretty, you know, limited as far as overtaking is concerned, and we didn't see much, but the ones that we did see were pretty impressive, assisted with DRS, of course. Um, Max Verstappen qualified third again. He split the two Mercedes on the start. He was the first one to come in pit, while Hamilton actually went pretty long on those medium tyres, as I said, to lap 31 where it was because of the virtual safety car that he came in and pitted um, and then later on in the race Bottas we found out he was suffering from some debris having been having damaged his car from lap two so it was I think they were saying a piece of Ferrari debris or something they pulled out a, a chunk of red or whatever carbon fiber that had damaged Bottas car so he was suffering from the outset you know and being in the lead I guess that thing would not have really um you know hurt as much as it did when he was behind another car and then of course um being you know pressure being piled upon him from Verstappen as well and eventually Bottas kind of yielded by making a mistake he was on lap 42 at the Ravazza corner so that allowed Max to pass with DRS coming down the pit straight going into Tamburello but that but then we had Max have his own issue, which was on lap 51. So he ended up having a right rear failure and was out of the race. It was quite spectacular, actually. We thought there might have been a you know big accident, but um, it was just Max on his own. Leading to a third DNF in Italy this year. You know, this is probably one of the only years in Formula 1 we're going to have three races in Italy and all three of them believe it or not Max Verstappen has had DNFs and I know that you know it's not a funny thing and people should be like ah how dare you laugh at this or whatever it's not funny but it's just three races in the same country and all three of them he has not finished it's just yeah just an irony or you know just something funny about that statistic when we go ahead because this next year we're not going to have two races in Italy so yeah and then because of Max's crash there was a safety car that turned the race on its head as far as the battle for third was concerned so Perez who was in that position originally, he qualified 11th, you know, started the race on the medium tyre and was able to work his way up the field. And of course, you know, the story of Perez in the last few months, really, since the announcement that he wouldn't be 
uh, Racing Point, Aston Martin next year, basically fighting for his career on the grid um, and opportunities closing up, considering that this is a guy who basically saved the team when they um, were going bust and has delivered the best results for the team for the last, you know, since 2014, essentially. So, Checo was in that... um, position but then he was called into pit during the safety car which had us all scratching our heads it's like well he could have made it to the end of the race with you know that many laps to go um the track position and the fact that overtaking was very difficult at this circuit made it um you know gave us the no yeah, gave us the perception that he would have held on and given that Checo is one of the staunchest racers out there even someone like Danny Rick would have had a hard time to pass so Alas, that wasn't the case. They brought him in, Q conspiracy theory and everything. It was controversial, yeah, that they allowed him to pit or they pitted him at that time. And that basically gave Ricardo the opportunity to get up into third. He was being chased at the end by Danny Kvyat there, but um, Kvyat, of course, not close enough, but still an impressive race for the Russian. And again, for Renault, you know, they've jumped up into third in the Constructors' Championship now, even though it is by a couple of points, um, separating them, Racing Point and McLaren. But it's just been Dan, you know, who's been carrying the team this year, you know, with his results alone. So looking very good. And then you compare Ocon, who had another DNF to his name. Not of his own fault, of course. You know, there was a car failure. But, you know, Ocon, I guess, is going to have to start scoring some points as well if Renault really want to extend that lead that they have in third in the constructors. So, Checo, at the end, had to settle for sixth behind Charles Leclerc. So, pinning onto the soft tyres with not many laps to go didn't really give him the opportunity to, you know, take back any positions. And Leclerc as well, you know, a... Um, impressive drive for fifth, of course, considering Ferrari's woes this year, and he seems to one be the only one who's getting any kind of consistency, or he's either it's either that or he's out driving the car, you know, out driving the car consistently. That is so good job from him, especially you know Ferrari home track, almost given that it's close to Maranello and everything. But Kvyat, I've got to say, impressive in fourth. Um, his teammate Pierre Gasly qualified fourth, of course, so all eyes was on him. We know Gasly, of course, next year will be racing with AlphaTauri. Um, big conjecture over who his teammate will be. Sources saying it's not going to be Danny Kvyat, so this is why, you know, this performance was kind of more important as well because it's like hey you know I'm still pretty good here um I got a podium for you last year a couple of podiums at Red Bull he actually beat Daniel Ricciardo in the drivers championship back in 2015 too which is something that's often overlooked but unfortunately you know if I'm going to give Kvyat a criticism and I'm a big fan of his you know not the kind of fan who's dressed in head to toe in his supporter wear but I like the kid enough that um you know, I'd like to see him on the grid, but he's just not been consistent enough by comparison to Gasly. So on that um, front, then you got to say, make room for someone who is going to be consistent. So, and that looks to be more and more likely Yuki Tsunoda, who's front runner in F2 this year, sitting third in the championship, I believe. He's had a couple of wins, um, I think Spa uh, at Silverstone. So he, you know, I think he can finish as high as second possibly in the championship maybe the championship might be out of his touch but um i have to look at the points a bit more closely and figure that out going back to kviat though great performance though for the team's 
proper home race, even though Monza was a home race, given it's in Italy, but um, Imola closer to the team's base in Fahenza, and they actually did a filming day earlier there this year, and this is where uh, Sonoda as well did his test last week post the race. So while we got those guys looking strong in the points, you had double points for McLaren and Alfa Romeo at the bottom uh, half of the top 10. Um, you know, Kimi Raikkonen doing an impressive long stint on the medium tyres, beat out Sebastian Vettel at the end, uh, helped also by some uh, bad luck for Williams. So Nicholas Latifi ended up, you know, seven tenths behind Antonio Giovinazzi in 10th. Um, agonizing day for Williams, you know, when we when you look at that. And then also George Russell, he would have been on track for his first points in F1, those points that have been just so elusive for him all year and, you know, even last year. And he crashed by himself under the safety car. He did a uh, Roman Grosjean, basically, at Baku a couple of years ago, although I don't think I heard Russell say that um, it was Ericsson's fault or something like that. So referring, of course, to Marcus Ericsson. But ironically enough, um, when you speak of the two, apparently when Grosjean, uh, the news broke that Grosjean would not be at um, Haas next year, the only driver to have uh, sent him a message support was George Russell so I think they've you know formed a bit of a connection there and now Russell is trying to emulate Grosjean and look you know I don't mean to be tough on Russell and he is talented and you know he's going to be a star of the future and everything but until we see those first points come you know it's just hard to say well you're doing really well in qualifying mate but we haven't seen the race results yet you know last year he got outscored by Kubica um, uh, because the German Grand Prix, wet conditions, and Kubitz survived. Whereas this year, you know, on countback, Latifi's had the better results, and Latifi, you know, he was only seven tenths off. So, not that I'm saying Latifi's a better driver than Russell, but um, until we get the points on the board for George, it's like, well, we need to see, we need to see the points and everything. And good to hear as well that his, um, you know, contract is being upheld by Williams, he will be there next year, despite the um, rumours going around about Sergio Perez potentially replacing him and everything, I think, you know, you wouldn't have a happy engine supplier in Mercedes if um, Williams decided to ditch Russell, given that Russell's got the Mercedes tyres, but you want to see a good year from him next year if Williams does make progress, I mean, I said that this year, that, you know, we should see Russell kind of on the fringe of the points, or, you know, jagging a point here and there, you know, not, you know, near where the Alfa Romeos are, of course, in the Haas cars, but just being able to take advantage of situations like in Tuscany, you know, and also um, Monza, let's say all the Italian races this year, and Portimao as well, so we haven't seen that, but, you know, we've still got, what, four races to go this year, we've got the Bahrain out of track coming up, which could be like a NASCAR-style race for all we know on the semi-oval. So there is opportunities, and we just want to see Russell capitalise, you know, not just me, you know, the whole entire Formula 1 fan base, I think, wants to see that because, you know, there seems to be a lot of love for, for Russell out there. Those points scorers as well, McLaren and Alpha, helped too by Alex Albon's self-inflicted spin after the race uh, safety car restart, you know, I think 
you know, initially someone might have thought that it was Carlos Sainz's fault because he was in close proximity, but I think Albon just caught a bit too much curb and um, spun on his own. And again, you know, Albon, his future very much up for debate. Red Bull said that, you know, the last two races, Portimao and Imola would be the ones that kind of decide whether he'll get the seat for next year. And both races, really, they weren't the greatest results for Albon, so who knows, and it's hard, because as much as, you know, Albon's a great guy, great driver, he hasn't delivered that potential that we thought he would, so if I'm to make the decision, given that, you know, Red Bull want to go for the championship, you know, next year, it's their last proper year with Honda as a manufacturer, if they want to go for the championship, then they're going to need a driver who can score those points and be rear gunner to max, and that's where someone with the experience of Checo or Nico Hulkenberg would come in and do the job. You can't just have someone who's in a development phase. I mean, it's hard as well with Verstappen as the teammate too. So not really the role for a development driver. And I know that's harsh on Albon's side. But again, it's it kind of goes back to the fact that, yeah, Red Bull have all these junior drivers, but they're not ready for when, you know, someone a space is created you know Daniel Ricciardo classic example leaving sorry Sebastian Vettel when he left Red Bull you know that left a bit of a hole in the team you know four-time world champion deciding um he's going off to another team um and then people saying oh you know it's too early to promote Danny Kvyat and everything and then when now Ricciardo left at the end of um a couple of years ago 2018 um, it was like, oh, it's too early for Pierre Gasly because he hasn't performed. And then who do they replace him with? Another driver who's barely had many miles in Formula One. He wasn't even meant to be in Formula One at the start of last year. He was going to do Formula E for Nissan, so they had to do, do a U-turn to get him back. Same with Brennan Hartley. And then, you know, look what happened to him too. So I think it just... If they wanted to do go down the experienced driver route, I think, you know, they should have done it ages ago, and I've been saying that for ages. But then now that they've gone with Albon, they've figured out that, oh, it's not working out. I just feel really bad for Albon, you know, and for the Red Bull Junior program. Who wants to be a part of it if um, this is what's going to happen a couple of years after, um, or not even a year after you race for the team? So, yeah, you know, bad day for Albon good day for McLaren and Alfa Romeo as a result <laughs> and bad day also for Lance Stroll finishing down in 14th talk of perhaps COVID hangover you know we heard that he had um, COVID after what's its name the Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring the one that he missed and then he was pretty poor at um, at Portimao came in to, under fire for some incidents with Verstappen in practice and then with Lando Norris during the race as well not finishing in the points this weekend and now he's 25 points behind his teammate Perez and Perez actually missed two races earlier in the year because he tested positive for COVID so how do you rate that and then Stroll has got a seat next year <laughs> anyway, I'm going to leave it at that and not really get into the debate. So that's pretty much how the race went. Congratulations, Lewis. Congratulations, Mercedes. Quickly as well, the two-day format, I think, you know, was nice. Um, it certainly caught a few teams off guard as far as their preparation was concerned. Um, it was kind of, you know, I've got to say, it was kind of a blink and you'll miss it weekend with because of no Friday practice either. It's like... 
I'm very, I mean, on a normal, in a normal year when, you know, there's no COVID and I'm on a normal roster kind of thing, I'm working every Saturday, so I'm not going to be able to watch Friday practice too, like I have been able to recently because not working on a Friday or a Saturday. So sometimes because of those odd hours with the European and American races, I don't really care for Friday practice really and I'm sure a lot of fans feel that way too given that there's not much to see at the moment. We kind of know what a weekend is going to look like prediction wise. So, you know, while we're stuck with these current car rules I think the two-day format would work really well um, it didn't shake up the order as much as we thought but just some of the preparation you know racing point in their qualifying they were a bit compromised but then they came back with Perez and had a really good race you know and then missed out on the podium unfortunately so it would be nice to see for some races I guess you know it's got to depend on um, individual venues as well you know most venues that don't really get much of a Friday um, attendance by fans should consider doing a two-day format and see if you get more people coming in on the Saturday, Sunday. I know for Melbourne in particular, that would not be good because Friday you get a lot of fans um, for practice, you know, of all ages because, you know, a lot of them come thanks to school excursions, which, you know, I'm still envious of not being able to do when I was in um, in high school or primary school or whatever, that they get to do it. But, um, you know, there's opportunities for fans to come and enjoy their Friday, but I'm saying the circuits that don't have that or don't have anything as engaging should consider um, two-day formats because, yeah, you know, one 90-minute practice session, qualifying as normal, and then the race on Sunday – it can uh, deliver, so it'd be nice to see in the future. Some quick, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> some quick reflections then on Mercedes' uh, seventh title. You know, probably I'll give it some more air at the end of the year, um, even though we're almost at the end of the year, but you know what I mean, at the end of the season. Um, unbridled dominance, you got to say, from 2014. I'm just running out of superlatives here. You know, the big question that people are asking is, is it F1's fault for letting this dominance go unchecked? Because, you know, when Ferrari were dominant in the 2000s, F1 tried whatever it could to, to stop them and to, um, you know, change the regs to make sure that they're stopped. But I think the glass half... That's the, you know, glass half empty perspective, glass half full perspective is that, you know, they've earned this, you know, because they're such a great team. And then you look at their rivals, Ferrari and Red Bull have made failures. You know, they've been failures basically in this hybrid era. They haven't been able to win a championship. You know, the most races that they've won in a season, I guess it was Vettel a couple of years ago winning five or six races compared to, you know, Mercedes as a team winning, you know, in excess of 10 Grand Prix a year. And McLaren as well, you know, who were a championship force in the last um, set of regulations or in, during the V8 era, their mistakes that they've made, you know, with, with management and then the Honda debacle as well so it's really upon the failure of others as well that you know Mercedes have been able to go unchecked in this time with their dominance and 
so great as the team when you look at, you know, from the team boss in Toto Wolf to the engineers, you know, all the uh, technical people as well, the designers. It's just, yeah, you know, this is the kind of team that, you know, imagine if they did break apart as be, as is being talked about or whatever, or, you know, people, Toto Wolf step back because um, he says that, he might not be team principal or in the same role as he is in at the moment for next year because of the demand in extra races and he's just reaching a stage where he feels like he's done what he needs to and now it's time to kind of uh, step back. Is that consistency going to stay there, you know? So I guess, you know, for what it is at the moment, um, we should just be like, applauding Mercedes and what a good job that they've done and everything and hopefully even though if we don't do it now you know in 10 years time 15 20 years time we really appreciate the achievements that um, Mercedes along with Lewis Hamilton you know throwing Nico Rosberg there for his title in 2016 have achieved in this time because it is certainly unprecedented and wow you know if they dominate all the way from, what, 2014 to 2022 when the next set of aero regs come in. That's, you know, almost, what have we had, you know, a couple of changes of regs in between, you know, 2017 with a new aero coming in, um, at the ha- introduction of the halo in 18 and um, the simplified front wings that came in last year as well. So amongst all those changes, Mercedes have still been number one. So you don't do that because, you know, you you if you're not a good team, so that's basically it (laughs) so calendar for next year provisional one was released yesterday i did a little bit of a oh sorry two days ago i did a little bit of a article about it um online today no i wrote it yesterday it got published today all right i'm just gonna leave that in i'm not gonna edit that yawn out it's the struggle the struggle of modern day living um 23 races, a record for the sport. Uh, we knew it was coming. They've been talked about all year. It's like, now that it's here, how do we deal with it? We've got six races in seven weeks as part of two triple headers. So from uh, Belgium, Netherlands, Italy. So yeah, uh, Zandvoort, the Dutch Grand Prix has been moved in between Belgium and Monza in September. And then, so that's the first triple header. Then your second triple header is Russia, Japan, sorry, Russia, Singapore, Japan from September 26th to October 10. Seems like that they're going to get Japan and Bathurst to clash again, which I'm not happy about. It was good this year that they didn't. Um, five pairs of double headers as well, including the first couple of races. Uh, so March 21, the season. Not resumes <laughs> the season begins in australia here at albert park um and then we go in less than seven days time over to bahrain uh, for round two vietnam the grand prix looks to be out with its april 25 slot tba so it could possibly be replaced by a turkish grand prix or a portuguese grand prix at portimao they're the two likely venues and then also the introduction of the saudi arabia grand prix so you say what you will about saudi i don't want to go into too many details about that you know my stance on that sort of thing with human rights and all that i'm you know it's a bit appalling um, that we're going to a country with such a poor human rights record especially with f1 doing this we race as one thing you know it seems like in recent months it's kind of just been pushed to the side and it's like yeah there it's just to appease 
you know, people just to tick boxes and all that sort of thing. So I think it's not the greatest promotion of that. But then we had the announcement today that um, W Series, the all-female junior category or whatever, um, not really junior category, feeder series, I should say, pathway to Formula One potentially is going to be partnering up with F1 from next year. We're going to have all eight races of W Series on the F1 weekends, we don't know which ones yet, but, you know, hopefully it's spread out over the calendar and we get a variety of venues on there, so that's great, you know, that's great promotion and I can't wait to see it, you know, as part of the F1 weekend, I unfortunately didn't catch any races last year, but the highlights I saw were really, really great, Um, it's a great little category and just great pathway, good promotion as well to get those drivers on the map and everything and household names already you know which is which is really good to see you know of course a lot of people know Abby Eaton um through the Grand Tour Jamie Chadwick of course who was the inaugural champion last year so a lot of great names on the grid and I can't wait to see that next year so I wonder if they would race somewhere like Saudi Arabia you know as a to put out a little political message there to those folk (laughs) anyway let's not delve too much into it um and we've got asterisks next to spain and brazil so with the brazilian grand prix the rio de janeiro circuit which was supposed to come in next year looking unlikely to feature construction has kind of been halted though f1 is not really keen on returning to interlagos or you know uh, sorry yeah, F1 is not really keen on in returning to Interlagos, so they'd have to come to some kind of agreement to race at Interlagos next year if they have to, in order to keep a Brazilian Grand Prix. But overall, the thing I could take away from this is that, you know, the human cost in this 23 race calendar, and I'm thinking about all the people in the paddock, the teams, pit crews, engineers, and everything, team bosses as well. You know, when you look at Toto Wolf thinking, you know, he wants to scale back his involvement. You look at Mattia Bonotto for Ferrari this year as well, um, looking at he's going to miss the Turkish Grand Prix this weekend and looking at missing maybe some more races at the end of the year so he can spend more time at the factory overseeing development, which, you know, the the team principals haven't really been able to do this year. Um, and just families, you know, not being able to see your family, just occupational burnout and all that kind of thing, you know. As much as, you know, you might be living the dream working in and inside you know inside of f1 and traveling all over the world you know sometimes you just miss basic pleasures like home and you know being with your family and loved ones so and any sort of work you know can burn you out and occupational burnout is something i can really do a whole other podcast about at the moment but i will not bore you guys with that sort of thing so that's really concerning and hopefully if next year, you know, it does go the wrong way, then, you know, Formula One can learn from that. But then on the flip side of that, um, financial recovery is really important, I guess, post-COVID uh, or, you know, not really post, we're not really over COVID, but, you know, we're over that hump where, you know, we had to cancel events, you know, we had to postpone races because there was nothing in place, you know, no COVID safe plan or anything like that in place or procedures and protocols to keep everyone safe whereas now you know they've got their strict procedures in place that they and they say that they can race pretty much anywhere in the world so which is why going back to the venues that were going to be on the calendar for this year um, except for Vietnam of course which you know due to their ongoing 
um, political reasons they're not able to feature on the calendar next year, but um, all the others, you know, they're going to be there. Hopefully there'll be fans too. For next year, I know Albert Park are really keen on having a fan presence because it's basically a fan-friendly or one of the most fan-friendliest races on the calendar, so that would be good to see. And more races, of course, for F1 means more revenue generated by the hosting fees from the venues too, and I'm sure, you know, the local economies need a boost in tourism through tourism, whether it's local tourism or not. You know, there's still a question mark over here you know, in Australia and in Melbourne in particular, whether, you know, we're going to see international tourists being able to come. I know there's a bubble being opened up uh, with New Zealand and everything, and, you know, people from New Zealand can travel, vice versa, to here. So, hey, Dino, if you're listening, um, you know, more than welcome to come over anytime, mate. Be happy to uh, see you and everything if you can. If you feel safe enough coming to Melbourne, you know, make sure you pack some face masks and everything. Um but yeah, you know, if that all opens up, then it'd be good because, you know, an Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park would be nothing if there was going to be, you know, 25% capacity of fans. I guess, you know, you want at least 50% or, or 75 if can be done in a safe manner. But um, yeah, that's basically my takeaways from the calendar. You know, it's also got to say that, you know, we were spoiled this year having all these exciting new church circuits like Imola, like, you know, Mugello, Portimao, um, Nürburgring and, you know, going back to Turkey uh, because we knew that next year if things go back to somewhat normal as far as scheduling is concerned, we'd have to see some of those races that not everyone is a fan of. So, you know, back to it, back to the grind. <laughs> My preview of the Turkish Grand Prix now to round us out. So the return to Istanbul Park, of course, for the first time since 2011. I've got fond memories of the race in 2010 here, of course. I'm sure a lot of people do when you look at the um, fallout between the two Red Bull cars, Mark Webber and Vettel, of course, at the time. Um, more importantly for this weekend, it's the first opportunity for Hamilton to clen clinch that seventh title, of course. So he's basically got to outscore Bottas by seven or eight points, I think is it is, to be able to rule Bottas out as a contender. And then the celebrations can begin. So, you know, when you look at Hamilton's form at the moment, um, it is looking pretty likely that it could be done. But at the same time, you know, you don't rule out, you know, Bottas kind of making this go down to the wire, even though it is very difficult for, um, for him to win it from here, you know. So it's going to be exciting. And just, yeah, you know, again, another record waiting to be written possibly this weekend um epic turn eight corner of course you know everyone loves turn eight there it's a pretty driver friendly layout overall we see some good racing there it'll be interesting to see in this generation of cars how they go of course Sebastian Vettel the last winner here in Turkey while Hamilton and Kimi Raikkonen are the only other winners that are on the grid at the moment um Jensen Button won there in 2009 and then you had three years successive that Felipe Massa won so you know Massa just had a thing for this place you know 06 07 08 so great great little run for him and you know making Ferrari the most winningest constructor at this circuit although we don't think that Ferrari are going to be able to win this weekend but they are improving certainly with Leclerc they're improving 
So, and as I said before, whether it's the fact that he outdrove the car or, you know, they have made genuine improvements, it's, you know, looking a little bit better for them. Anyway, we look at Max as well, um, Verstappen that is looking to redeem himself after Imola, you know, eyes are going to be on Albon of course too, whether Red Bull make a decision before this weekend about what's um, going to happen with that seat for next year or they're going to wait again till, till Bahrain, but you know, the clock is certainly ticking and you know, while we don't hear the drums beating per se in the media as much at the moment, um, or by Red Bull even, I think, you know, we still might be shocked with what decision is made. You look at the battle in the midfield too, as I said, there's one point separating those three teams, so Renault, McLaren and Racing Point at the moment, so that's basically on a knife's edge. I, you know, I backed McLaren from the start, you know, I don't want to be proven wrong, but I'm not going to stop backing him, but... They need to get some good results under their wing. You know, hopefully this is a track there's, that suits them. I know they've got, you know, an eye on 2021 as well at the moment, which, you know, could be a reason why they're, you know, kind of fallen behind Renault and Racing Point. But, you know, next year is going to be a big year with the switch from um, Renault Power to Mercedes-Benz. So they're trying to trial new bits and pieces that are going to work for them next year because, you know, if this year they don't get that, championship position then there's always next year with the current generation cars and I think you know with new driver coming on board as well in Danny Rick you know they want to hit the ground running certainly as much as they can and elsewhere you know you look at Alpha Tauri they're only 14 points behind Ferrari in the battle for sixth as well so you know a couple of good weekends for Alpha Tauri you know who look like the team that could be on the podium more than the actual Ferrari team at the moment you know can you believe that you know Ferrari and Alpha Tauri have the no, they don't. I was going to say Alpha Tauri have as many podiums as Ferrari do this year, but that's not true. Alpha Tauri only have the one podium from the win, but they've got more wins than Ferrari this year. <laughs> I got you with that one. <clears throat> and then, of course, with George Russell, you know, can he score? Can he score? Just get the monkey off the back, George. Do it. Perez, future, not secure yet. You know, Haas, as I said, you know, Grosjean out, Magnussen out, it looks like it's those junior drivers that'll get in, Alfa Romeo locked in their drivers for another year, so where does Checo go, it's got to be Red Bull, another shameless yawn, yeah it's got to be Red Bull then, if not then there's nowhere else he can go I'm afraid, and then Yuki Tsunoda of course firming for that seat at Alfa Tauri, so yeah, hopefully an exciting weekend, um, and look, you know, if Hamilton gets the championship wrapped up this weekend, then so be it. You know, I'd rather that than, you know, have it kind of stretched out until um, later in the year or to Abu Dhabi because it's like, you know, it's not going to change. It's not going to change. Um, no one else is going to be able to win it from here. So why not just uh, let it uh, let it finish up as soon as possible? And then we can look forward to next year and then, of course, um, share our thoughts about uh, Lewis Hamilton equaling the championship tally of Michael Schumacher and of whether people want to accept that or not. Anyway, I think um, that's about it. You know, there's some MotoGP stuff I can talk about too, but I'm leaving that for another time. Uh, 
two races to go in that championship, which is exciting. And we're going to have a new championship winner. We could possibly have a Suzuki winning as well. So Juan Mir doing a really good job and, of course, winning his first Grand Prix in Valencia last week. So, you know, he's got a handy lead at the moment in the championship. So I think it could be game, set and match for the Spaniard on the Suzuki. But other than that, we'll talk about that another time. Um... Look forward to the Turkish Grand Prix this weekend. Uh, Have a good weekend, guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back hopefully Thursday next week, I want to say. I I think Thursdays at the moment suit my schedule. So Thursday I'll do the recording and we'll talk about Turkey next week. Thanks, guys. Ciao.